That was a really sweet time of worship. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Uh, good morning. If you would, take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. So I had a friend a while back that decided to do a staycation. Uh, if you don't, anyone ever done a staycation before? Do you know what it is? Okay, if you don't know what a staycation is, the idea is instead of going off somewhere for vacation, you stay home and you find fun things to do in and around your community. And so my friend uh, and his family, they did their staycation, and I was talking to him afterwards. I was like, well, how'd it go? And he said, you know, it was a lot of fun. He said, I didn't realize what I was missing out on. I've, I've been to these places before. I've dropped my kids off at these uh, event places and venues, and he's driven by these places hundreds of times before, but he had never experienced what his community had to offer. And so that staycation was kind of that, that eye-opening moment for him about what was around him. I think American Christians can experience something like that when it comes to the church, if we're not careful. We can go to church, we can be familiar with programming, we can be familiar with mission statements and who's on staff, and we know about what's going on in the church to some extent, but maybe, just maybe, we don't interact, and maybe we miss out on the depths of community that's offered in the church. Before we get to our key text, I want to share a thought with you that we're going to be processing today, and here's the idea. Church is not a place you go. It's a community you're engaged with. And that thought brings us to our key text for today. And before we read God's word, just a reminder, God didn't have to do anything for us. He didn't have to send his son, and he definitely didn't have to give us his word with clear instructions. And so at this time, in honor of the initial reading of God's word, I'm going to ask you to stand at this time. I'll read 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 6, which reads, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. I can't tell you how many times I've said we should go to church. Or, hey, meet me up at the church. And I'm guilty of that just as much as anybody. But here's the issue, if that's how we view church, like truly, if that's how we see church is a place or an event, we're missing out on what the Bible has to say about church. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to the Word of God today, and we're going to allow God's Word to define the church in this community and how, and by the way, this community that we're going to be learning about today, it's a special community, but special is not even the right word. It's a sacred community. 
that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have an opportunity to be a part of, and really a responsibility to be a part of. And and on a quick side note, I actually love that we call this building the steeple, uh, because we can say, hey, meet me at the steeple, right? Uh, Because the church is people, and not just any people, those who have been redeemed by Christ through the gospel of Jesus. So let's first consider this, that we were, number one, created for community. Uh, The first reference to community, actually you have to go back to the creation account. So we're going to do that. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We learn something really important about God here. Even God is not alone. He's never been alone. The Bible teaches us that there is one true God. And this one true God is made up of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so in this trinity, which is what we call the three-person nature of God, there's a sort of Trinitarian community. And this Trinitarian community has existed in eternity past. And you know what? It's going to continue to exist in eternity future. And this same God made little old me... In little old you, and when he made us, he imprinted on us his desire for community. In fact, look at that same verse again. Verse 26 of Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our, what? Image. After our likeness. So the Bible says that you and I and every man woman, boy, and girl, we were made in the image of God. We bear his resemblance to some extent. A couple of weeks ago, before our service started, I was walking up towards the stage, and I saw one of our new mothers here at downtown church holding one of our new babies here at downtown church, which, by the way, we've got a few. I don't know if you've noticed, and that's growing. Praise God. And as I walked by that baby, I stopped. I was like, oh, you look like your daddy. Like, as soon as I saw the baby, I was like, I could see dad right here, bearing the resemblance of his father. Here's the thing. All of the people of the world, every person that has ever existed and every person that will ever exist, we resemble God to some extent. And as God enjoys community within the Trinity, within the Godhead, within that Trinitarian community, so do we. God has imprinted that desire on us. And not only a desire, the truth is we flourish in the right community. And that is what the series is called, Flourish. And the whole idea is doing this life, living this life the way God intended for us to experience it. And when we do it God's way, it's the best way. You're going to be the best version of yourself, the best husband, the best wife, the best man, the best woman, the best boy, the best girl that you can be in Christ and doing what he says 
Now, there's actually several different forms of community in the scriptures, and I want to run through these with you. Uh, We see the idea of marriage as being a form of community. Once again, the creation account. God creates Adam, but he didn't stop there. He created Adam and Eve. The book of Ecclesiastes puts it this way, two are better than one. And so you you see this idea of community even within marriage. Now, I don't want to throw stones at single people. That's not the point of that text. The idea here is if you are married, you can experience that, that form of community. But then there's also the family. So God made Adam, he made Eve, and what did he tell them? Be fruitful and multiply. Go, go make more babies, right? Go make more people. And the idea of family units existing as a form of community. And then you can widen the circle a little bit more and you see friendships in the scriptures. And by the way, there's a lot of friendships that we see in the Bible. One of my favorite is Jonathan and David. Uh, they, were, they were friends, but they were like brothers, how close they were. And then you also see relationships like Job and his friends. Now, Job's friends didn't always get it right, did they? Uh, but you know what they did? When Job lost his family, when everything went crazy in Job's life, his friends came and they just sat there in silence for days. They didn't say a word. They were just there for Job. You also see relationships like Paul and Timothy, even Jesus and Lazarus. You know what the shortest verse in the Bible is? Jesus wept. You know why Jesus wept? One of his good friends had just died, Lazarus. Even though Jesus knew he could bring him back, he still wept because he was mourning the loss of his friend. And so friendships even can be from God. So marriages are from God. Families are from God. Friendships are from God. But God didn't stop there. He saw a need for another form of community. God instituted, number two, church as community. Let's go back to our key text. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Okay, so God, in his infinite wisdom, he creates marriage, he creates families, he uh, wants us to have things like friendships, but you know what? He didn't stop there, because he knew marriage would not satisfy our needs in community. He knew families would not satisfy our needs in community. And once again, widening that circle, even friendships don't completely meet those needs just in and of themselves, which is why God introduces something that we call the church, the bride of Christ. In the text that we just read from 1 Peter The Apostle Peter penned this letter, and he's writing to a group of Christians. 
And these Christians were going through a really hard time. So they were coming to faith in Jesus, and and the Lord was changing their life, changing their family's lives. But you know what was happening also? They would go out in their communities, and they're, they're getting made fun of. They're getting threatened by their neighbors, by their friends, by their co-workers. They're being persecuted. And so Peter writes them this letter, and in this letter, he wants to comfort them. And the way he comforts them in the text that we just read is to remind them, hey, you're a part of something special. You're a part of a special community. And this community is unlike any other community. Jesus is the cornerstone of this community of faith. And then you are like living stones. You're like him because you've been made alive in Christ. And he starts taking us and he's building his church. That started back then. We're seeing that still today. Check out this text from Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So what's interesting about this form of community, Jesus does not say that about any other form of community. But he does say that about this. What does he say? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And here's what that means, church. If we do this right, and when I say this, I'm talking about this. I don't just mean this 9 o'clock service. I mean church. If we do this right, if we do what God says, and we listen to what his word commands... Satan doesn't stand a chance. Satan won't prevail. What did Jesus say? He said the gates of hell will not prevail. What he did not say is the gates of hell might not prevail. Or the gates of hell probably won't prevail. No, he says the gates of hell shall not prevail. It's a guarantee if we do what God says in his word. Praise God, that is such an encouragement. Now, does that mean that there are perfect churches out there? We all know. No, of course not. Does that mean that church members will, will always get along? Nope. Nope. That's, that's not it either. You know, the, the truth is churches are families. Spiritual families. We see this in the scriptures that we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're brothers and sisters with a heavenly father. And as family and as brothers and sisters usually do, sometimes we step on each other's toes. Sometimes there's miscommunication. Sometimes there's hurt feelings. Which is why it's so important that we make every effort to guard the unity in this family. We need to do that. Let me share with you a text from the Psalms. Psalm 133 verse 1. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. I love that verse. Uh, This is King David talking. And King David describes something. He teaches us that it is good. It, It is pleasant 
win brothers. And he's talking about God's people. When we dwell together in unity, it's, it's a blessed gathering. It's a blessed group of people. Uh, the word pleasant. Oh, by the way, my favorite part of that verse is the very end, the exclamation mark. Uh, the translators picked up on the emphasis that David is putting on this. How good, how pleasant. And that word pleasant doesn't just mean pleasant. Like when I think of pleasant, I think of like, I don't know, like a hot tub. Like, oh, this is kind of pleasant. You know, this is nice. But that's not what this is. The pleasant here that he's talking about is actually delightful. It's really, really good. Something to cherish. Something, something to be thankful for. And as I was reading that text and as I was studying that text, I, I couldn't help but smile because I started thinking about the community we have here at Downtown Church. And I started thinking about the unity that I'm seeing in this church. How good and how pleasant and really how delightful it is. In church, we've got to guard that. We've got to guard that. We, I'm sure we've all got stories of churches that maybe we've either been a part of or we've seen where the devil gets in and starts dividing, separating rumors, miscommunications, hurt feelings, and they don't resolve it. It's sad. It's sad when we, when we see that, which is why God in his wisdom said, hey, I got some advice for you here. If you were to pick up your Bible and you were to grab a highlighter and you started in Matthew, the first page of Matthew, and you went all the way to the last few pages there in Revelation, and you highlighted every verse that said one another, you would highlight 59 verses. God thought there was such importance in giving us guidance about how to do church. And so what? You know what? He, he did that. He gave us 59 texts specifically saying how we should treat one another. And in fact, I want to show you a few of those one another passages or snippets of those passages. Here's a few. Love one another. Accept one another. Serve one another. Forgive one another. Bear with one another. Now let's get real. Can we leave that up for just a minute? Let's get real. None of those things are easy to do all the time with everybody in the church. True? None of those things are easy to do every time with everyone in the church. But if we do, with, with the grace and strength the Lord provides, if we choose to obey these commands, and they are, if we obey these commands, then God will bless that community of believers. Unity will be guarded in that community of faith. Satan can't get his hands on our unity. We're, we're like a greased pig. Like you, you, you try to get your hands on it, but you can't. Satan can't. He will not prevail against his church. Amen? There's another problem that we can face when it comes to this community of believers. Sometimes we can be guilty of being connected but not committed. Connected but not committed. Uh, I think 
the all-time greatest show of all time is the Andy Griffith Show. Any Andy Griffith fans out there? Tim Martin, I'm looking at you. So Andy Griffith Show, I love that show. It's just kind of my blood pressure drops when I watch it. You know, I just laugh. I just enjoy it. So in those days, in the Andy Griffith days, churches were literally the center of the, of the community. And I, I mean physically. Like they, they literally built the church and they built the city and the town around the church. Actually, when this building was built in the 1800s, the steeple was literally the center. It was at the heart of downtown Mobile. I learned that recently. It literally was the center of downtown Mobile. So time goes on. People start moving out into the suburbs. People start moving out. Cars become more reliable. We become more spread out. And we've seen that even here at Downtown Church. And as I'm looking across uh, our, our people today, I'm seeing people from Eastern Shore, people from Wilmer, people from Grand Bay, people from West Mobile, people from Midtown and Downtown, Spring Hill, all over the map. And I got to say, I don't have a problem with that. As a pastor of mine once said, a church alive is worth the drive. And I, I tend to agree with him. I actually love the diversity we have here. But cars weren't the only form of technology that started changing the way the church did community. Uh, if I can say the word COVID without us just kind of twitching, uh, in 2020, COVID comes along. And when COVID comes along, churches all across the world were panicking, right? And they were trying to figure out this thing called live streaming, whether they had tech experience or not. And they were trying to figure it out. Here's why I share that. A, a new avenue was offered, which I think is a helpful tool, but live streaming. And so now you got people watching church services on iPads and phones and YouTube TV and TV services, obviously, and then podcasts. And so all of a sudden, there's this option presented to us. I want to say this in love. It's a tool, but we've got to be careful with the tools, okay? Here's why. Technology is meant to enhance relationships, not replace them. Let me say that again. Technology is meant to enhance relationships, not replace them. I will say, when churches started doing live streaming, I, I saw tremendous value for homebound church members, for the sick, for those who physically could not get around, I saw tremendous value in those church members having access to their church's worship gatherings. I think that is awesome. And I think we should leverage those to the glory of God, every piece of technology that we can. But we've got to be careful. Because if we're not careful, church, what can happen is technology can replace community. And that's a dangerous thing. I want to share with you a few more one another verses. And as we read this list, let's consider how hard it is to do these things through a screen. All right, check this out. Um, we've got care for one another. Look to the interest of one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. 
Stir up one another to love and good works. You, you get the point. You get the picture. It's hard to do those things through an iPhone. It's hard to do those things through a computer. And a lot of times, they just don't get done at all when we're not gathering with God's people, engaging with God's people. I would say in love to the church, not just here, but just the church in North America especially, we've got some tools at our disposal, but if your idea of church is being in your, in your jammies with your breakfast and your cup of coffee and you watch the service and then you're done, check, I've done church this week, you're not getting the full experience. You're not experiencing community the way God wants you to experience community. And by the way, the world offers other forms of community, and they're not necessarily bad. And maybe you're experiencing some of these things. Maybe you're one of the ball moms, and you're, you're getting little, little Johnny to practice, and so you hang out with the other ball moms, or the hunting club, hanging out with the guys, or golf buddies, or whatever the case might be. Sure, do those things. Those are fine. Nothing wrong with that. But, church, if we really want to flourish... If we really want to be the husband and the father God has called us to be. Ladies, if you really want to be the wife, the lady God has called you to be, the mother God has called you to be. If you really want to be the person that God has created you to be to your full potential, you can't get there apart from the community of faith. You need it. I need it. We need the church. And so I'm going to close out today's message with some possible takeaways. Okay? Here's some things you might need to consider doing. Number one, join the church. Join the church. So if you go through the New Testament, you're never going to see Paul say, hey, join a church. You're never going to see Peter say, join a church. But here's what you do see. You see over and over again through the scriptures this expectation that you're going to submit yourself to a body of believers. You're going to allow them to hold you accountable. You're going to allow them to encourage you. You're also going to contribute. You're going to be actively involved in the life of the local church. And so you and I, we need that. And if it's not here, find a local church, find a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church and submit yourself to that and let the Lord bless you through that. So join a church. Number two, consider joining a life group. I was thinking about this. As, you're, as you read through those one another verses, it's very hard to experience those things if you're not in a setting like a life group. And, and life groups are that, y'all. Life groups, I, I say this often, life groups are very much life-giving. There's been many times when Allison and I are tired, we've had a long week, and then we go to life group and, and we walk away and we say, oh, I really needed that. Actually, recently, I uh, was talking with a new family that attended one of our life groups for the first time, and they walked out and they were talking with me and Allison and they were sharing with me. I needed that. In, in fact, I really need that in my life. And you know what? They weren't wrong. God made them for that. God made you for that. And lastly, 
Consider prioritizing community in the church even more. I would encourage you to consider your commitment to Christ and his church. The Lord is stirring hearts. The Lord is moving. The Lord is building his church here at Downtown Church. And I'm very much excited about the days to come. But I want to challenge all of us to consider what should community look like for me in this church. And take that step, whatever that might be. At this time, we're going to get ready for the Lord's Supper. And so I'm going to ask our gentlemen, our ushers, to go ahead and get those elements ready. Hold off on passing them out just yet. So Christ commanded his disciples, his followers, to partake in this thing called the Lord's Supper. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And when he said that, he was implying, hey, do this regularly. Keep doing this. Keep reminding yourself of what I have done for you. And if you don't know what the Lord's Supper is, the Lord's Supper is an opportunity to remember that you and I are sinners and we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Because Jesus offered his sinless, spotless blood on the cross to make payment for your sins. His body was broken on that same cross. Jesus died And then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And the the grave had no form of victory over Christ. And praise God, if you are in Christ, the grave has no victory over you. In just a moment, they're going to start passing out the elements. But first, I want to read a text from the Apostle Paul to the church. And it was about the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Paul gives a strong charge to the church here. I remember when I was a kid, and we would do Lord's Supper. I remember thinking, ooh, little little snack time. That's not what this is. This is a sacred moment together, church, to remember what Christ has done for you and what he's done for me. And it's not just to remember, it's also a time to examine. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. They're going to sing for us. You're welcome to sing along. They're going to pass out the elements. But here's what I'm going to ask all of us to do. And I say this in love. Examine yourself. The Bible preaches grace. It also preaches repentance. There might be something in your heart, in your life, that you need to distance yourself from. You need to put far away from you. Let's do that now.